is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Well, guys, another week and the three of us are back again. It's Nick Guzman, Andy Rodriguez, and James Burley once again for another edition of FUVFC, the Women's World Cup, fully in swing, the U.S. WNT has played their first two matches at this World Cup, a win against Vietnam by a score of 3-0, and then a draw, a hard-fought draw against the Netherlands 1-1. The U.S. two games into their group stage journey. But first, guys, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, I wish I, w- I would be doing a little bit better if the U.S. had gotten the three points against the Netherlands, but... You know, a lot to like about that performance, a lot to criticize that we'll get into. And I'm really excited that it's once again, I'll, I said it last week, I'll say it again this week. I'm glad it's these three kicking it up on FUVFC once again. Yeah, I could get used to this. <laughs> it's been pretty cool talking with you guys over the last couple of weeks. And I feel like it's going to be a fun one today as well. We got a lot to unpack with the uh, women's performances in the World Cup so far. Disappointing for sure. But I think it's been exciting nevertheless because it's not just them beating everyone like by a lot. It's it's hard fought game. So I'm I'm really excited to talk about it with you guys. And they really tried to keep us apart this week. Gino was supposed to slot in here, but he couldn't make <laughs> it. So fate would have it that the three of us are back again. But at this rate, we're gonna go through the whole women's world cup and just break it down every week, which I'd be very, very happy to do. I'm not so against we recorded, that. We recorded our last episode right before. The U.S. opened the the tournament against Vietnam. Uh, we gave some lofty predictions um, in terms of how many goals they were going to win by. They won by a comfortable margin of 3-0. Sophia Smith with the first half brace and then Lindsey Horan adding one in the second. But I want to start with the Vietnam, Vietnam game just a little bit because I think something we talked about before the tournament and the lead up was how from that first match, you really wanted to see the U.S. be clinical in front of goal and, and really take their chances because that was something that was missing in that lead-up game against Wales. And they didn't really do that against Vietnam. They they did score three goals and they won 3-0 and, you know, three points on the board, getting the tournament started in the right fashion. But I think in that Vietnam game, there were definitely things, uh, particularly in the attacking sense and, and breaking down that Vietnam defense that, you know, that could have definitely been better from that opening performance. And, yeah, they controlled the entire game, three points. It was never, never for a second was it in doubt that they weren't going to win. But that was the expectation. And the standard was, you know, supposed to be a little bit higher than 3 0. Vietnam did not register an entire shot, not on target, not at all. They were held at bay the entire time as expected. So you have to give the US some credit for 
being as imposing as they were. But I'm going to flip the script and give Vietnam a lot of credit for not backing off and inviting pressure, but actually defending really well from the front and putting a lot of um, U.S. players in uncomfortable situations, especially in central midfield, which really allowed the game to get slowed down until it would go out wide for the likes of Rodman and Smith, who had a really good time flying in behind because this team has so much pace and power. And I think that was all they had again. I will stay on the Vietnam game, but I think we saw similar things in the Netherlands where the midfield got congested and the team had to go either through it very slowly or around it completely. And that's something that they're going to have to fix going into the game against Portugal and potentially in the knockout round, should they reach it. But against Vietnam, I, I was not impressed by their ability to, to uh, turn quality possession into quality chances they had their chances and probably could have scored five or six I mean Alex Morgan with the penalty is is probably the most obvious example of a squandered scoring chance but that was okay to have missed they could have scored four or five more from open play and it's not about that they didn't you know convert their chances for me it's that they didn't create better ones is that they didn't look like they were as as fluid and effective as they did throughout the entire group stage of 2019 and throughout the entire tournament in 2015. So for me, that's, that's where the concern is. And it's not that I don't think it's through a drop of talent. I think they are just as talented as they've ever been and are probably the deepest and most talented team at this entire world cup. Maybe it's a confidence thing. Maybe it's Vlako Andonovsky is not approaching these matches with the right mentality because there's maybe a lack of trust for some players to, to have Savannah DeMello go uncapped coming into the World Cup, playing a few minutes in a cameo against Wales and then starting the first two group matches, group match games. Um, it, it, it's going to throw other players even around her for a loop. And it, it's it's a strange situation that I haven't seen from this women's national team program in a very, very long time. So for it to be happening now and to be experimenting in this way with Julie Ertz being the stopgap center back, this is something that was only ever tried for a few minutes at a time coming into this World Cup. So that's where my head's at is that I'm still confused. Like there are other teams in this women's game that have caught up and have now developed a true sense of identity. We see that for the Netherlands. They play a very, very, very calculated and measured type of game where they clog the midfield and they're going to try to slow it down as much as possible. And credit to them. They played their hearts out and earned a point against the toughest team in this pool. But for the U.S., I haven't seen an identity. And I haven't seen uh, any besides Lindsay Horan in that one moment where she decided to dunk on the Netherlands, I haven't seen any single player step up and say, this is going to be me right now. And while Sophia Smith had a great first half against Vietnam, those chances were pretty much handed to her. So I'd like to see more in terms of creation from the U S because I know they have it. Like it's the players are there. The ability is there. They're just not playing to that potential. And I think a lot of it has to do with one, the personnel that Vlad goes picking and where he's putting them and two, um, just their mindset right now. There's there. They know that they have to live up to the standards of the back-to-back world champs and the players. They know that they're new, but they are better than the ones they're going up against and they should be showing that. Yeah. I mean, if we go back to the first game against Vietnam, I will highlight, I called my shot three nil and that was the result. So for me, not surprising at all to see that because just as I said, like they're going to dominate or they're not going to like create the chances or if they create the chances, they're going to be, they're not going to be clinical and they're only going to score around three. And I definitely agree with what James said, or I, I don't know which one of you two said it. I know one of you guys said it, that the game could have easily ended with like six or seven goals, even without the penalty. Like even if she misses the penalty, 
they still could have won that with like six or seven goals, in my opinion, just from what I saw. But that didn't happen. And yeah, what James was saying that they don't really have an identity seems to be exactly like the perfect description. They don't know what to do once they get there. It seems like there's no strategy. Like, yes, we dominate. We get the ball. But once we have the ball, what do we do? I don't think they have the answer to those questions yet. And a lot of it can be like pinned down to the coaching as well. What was interesting to me in the Netherlands game, there was only one sub used, which is pretty interesting. I think he made a comment. I'm not sure how reliable the source is. I saw on Twitter, like, like Anonofsky commented, like he didn't want to ruin the momentum. But come on, you got to use those subs. They're going to be tired as well. There's other games you got to think about. So to use only one sub was very strange to me. And yeah, credit to Vietnam in that first game. I thought they were solid defensively. And for me, we've always been saying that the other teams are catching up. I think one of the biggest differences in this World Cup, at least from what I can see, are the goalkeepers. They've been insane. And these small teams, when you're expecting them to get like six goals against them, their goalies have been showing up. It's been ridiculous. And I do not remember the goalies being at this level in the last World Cup which I think has made a huge difference as to like how many goals we're expecting to see and being surprised. We're like, Oh my gosh, there's only two goals. And by any standards, the USA game was really not that bad in terms of expected goals. They had like 2.79 and they scored three. So you look at that, you're like, it's great, but that's just the standard they've set. And over the last couple of years, we expect so much more from them. So yeah, it's, it's a bit disappointing, but We'll see if they figured it out. I think the other teams certainly have figured out their system way more. And we do say it's a period of transition for the U.S. But we have other teams in transition, like Spain. For me, Spain, just watching them play, I think they're favorites for this tournament. And I could be wrong, but I just really like the way they're playing. They seem to have their system figured out. Interesting stat for the Spain team. In the two games they played, the 180 minutes, only three players played all 180 minutes. So that shows that their subs are being used effectively. They have depth in that squad. And even if they lost like 15 players the last year over the scandal, they've brought up new players like Salma Parayuelo and their experience too. She played the under 17 Women's World Cup, won that. Under 20 Women's World Cup, won that. Then the European Championships with under 20 team as well, won that. They're experienced, even though they're young. And so they're in a transition period. They're managing it out though. USA seems a bit more uncertain as to how to transition successfully. Yeah. And then going into that, that game against the Netherlands yesterday, which we we've already touched on a little bit, but there were no changes from Vladko Andonovsky, the same starting 11 that started the game against Vietnam. And then, you know, that game yesterday was really a tale of two halves. You know, I think the U S looked a little bit lost going forward and just in general, in terms of how they were playing in the midfield and the interchanging, just looked a little bit lost in that first half and they were punished you know, the real one one high-quality scoring chance the Netherlands generated, they took with Jill Roard in the 17th minute. They go up 1-0. And then in the second half, you know, I think the biggest difference was the the introduction of Rose Lavelle into the game at halftime, who really ch- sort of changed the way the midfield was playing and just provided a burst of energy. And I have to think, you know, she was coming off an injury going into this tournament. But I think just based on that performance in the second half against the Netherlands, I would be shocked if she's not you know, starting the rest of the way. Because I think she, the impact that she had on the midfield, it really changed the game because the U.S., as soon as we got to the second half, we're creating chances. And 
looked the far more dangerous of the two teams. And then it was Lindsey Horan header in the 62nd minute after, you know, her little bit of beef with her club teammate, Danielle Vandedonk. And then she sort of, as you said, James, dunked on the Netherlands defense with that header to tie the game at one. And that was seemed like a real moment of inspiration for the U.S. You know, she's wearing the captain's armband and it was a, it was a very flat first 45 minutes. And they needed something like that from a set piece to sort of get the wheels moving. And then after that, there were there were, you know, the chances started to flow. And the, the one that sticks out in my mind is that Sophia Smith chance off the corner that was just, you know, headed wide off the second opportunity. Um, but the chances were there in the second half. But Vladko opted to just make the one change with Rose Lavelle. And I, I get. I get a little bit where he's coming from in that they were playing very well in that second half and things were flowing much better than they were in the first. But I think in a tournament like this, you need fresh legs and to just have the one sub with Rose Lavelle, I think, you know, a player like Lynn Williams on the bench could have had a lot to, to bring to that game against the Dutch. Uh, maybe someone like Alyssa Thompson could provide a spark as well. So the game ends one, one, but you, you feel like, there were chances to to maybe get a winner late. And I think you're very satisfied with the performance in the second half, but you were very flat in the first. So I think there's a lot of things, James, for this team to work on heading to the Portugal game because it it doesn't seem like the 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 play is, you know, flowing as it necessarily should be. I think there are definitely positives to take. I think the the center back duo of Gurma and 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 Julie Ertz seems like I think reliable to push us through the rest of the tournament with that being our center back duo. But I mean, particularly in midfield in that first half, it just seemed like the Dutch had all the answers to everything we were trying to do in terms of trying to create through the midfield. So I think getting a one, one draw after that first half, a little disappointing considering how well we played in the second, but definitely things to work on. And I think the biggest thing that sees out to me is just the, the one substitution from Vladko. And I, I agree that, you know, you, you there's something to be said about keep the players out there that are playing well. It's a strategy. So I, I understand a bit of where he was coming from. What I do, what, and that's me, that's me giving Vladko the benefit of the doubt because there's a lot to criticize about the way he runs this team. But if I can point out another thing that maybe a lot of, it's, it's not that it's, it's rare that people have pointed this out, but it's something that I'd like to hone in on a little bit more. It's not so much that, only one sub was made, but it's it's the difference that Rose Lavelle, her presence made at that midfield. Bringing on the creative piece that she is opened up so many avenues for them to start playing through the middle and start opening the game up, and it, and it changed everything. Not only did the U.S. end up having more of the ball, but they had it in better areas and in dangerous sequences. Their phases of play were much more lively and quick, and, and they were playing with, in the first half and against Vietnam for a lot of that game, both of those games, I thought, with a lot of hesitancy going forward, which is something that the U.S. never looked like they had. They, it, I mean, if you remember the 2015 World Cup Finals, the best example of this, every time the U.S. got the ball, they got it in midfield, turned and went. And they just went and they made you panic. They ran at you and they would beat you in transition. And they have the players to play that sort of game right now. With Smith and Rodman on the wings, that should be the ultimate goal. Is get it and go. Find them and have them cause havoc in the in the opponent's attacking uh, defensive third. And they did a bit of that, more of that. Uh, in, in the second half. And it was good because Lavelle came on and ended up opening some doors. But Andy Sullivan getting two starts here is 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 where my head starts to draw a blank because she's having a terrific season in NWSL. But I cannot understand for the life of me why she is the starting holding midfielder in this national team when there's more talented pieces. I mean, it 
It should be Julie Ertz. I know Julie Ertz is typecast into the sixth role for this national team a lot when she's more valuable, a bit higher up the pitch in midfield. But I think if you have her holding down central midfield and you slide Alana Cook into the central defense, then you have a much, much more stable force in midfield that you can rely on. And I unfortunately don't think Sullivan has been that. And I think that was very much to the team's detriment in the first half. And on that goal, she gets beat. There's a 20-yard gap between her and the central and the center line of defense. And then Crystal Dunn slips on the back post, which opens up all kinds of doors. And Joe Ward sneaks in for a tidy finish. And that's what good teams will do to you. They'll punish when you make those mistakes in midfield and in defense. So the U.S. have got to clean that up. And I think part of that is because Andy Sullivan may be a bit below this level if you want to be the back-to-back-to-back world champs. And I... That's why, even though I've been surprised with how good Julie Ertz and Naomi Gurma have been in central defense, not by Gurma, she's fantastic, but Ertz sliding into this role as sort of like in a caretaker position with Becky Sauerbrunn out, been very impressed with her, but I still think Alana Cook can do just the same job, and you have Ertz in the middle, and it will change the way this team can perform. So that's that's a bigger po- point of criticism I'll make towards Vladko, but the one substitution is also a problem for me because even though I understand where he's coming from, I still disagree with it because you mentioned Lynn Williams. Trinity Rodman was out of gas and did not play very well. Uh, Sophia Smith was only a bit better in, in the second game, but she had her chances. Trinity Rodman was, was just out of that game. And I think if you bring in Lynn Williams with fresh legs in the 75th minute, or even Alyssa Thompson, or even if you want a more experienced approach, Megan Rapino on the wing, then you get fresh legs in there that can really give you a different look and can break down the Netherlands in other ways that wasn't happening because they, they did look better in that second half, but outside of maybe a couple chances here and there in the Haran goal, they didn't look all that dangerous. This game felt like a draw. It felt like the result was fair. So while I want to say all these things were good and the Vlatko got the halftime adjustments right, so he wanted to stick with it, it still wasn't good enough to get three points. And that should ultimately be the goal when you're the number one team in the world and every team's pointing a gun at your back. You've got to go out there and you've got to win. And and if you remember before this group stage started, I was like, that's why I was so excited about it and so optimistic because this U.S. team knows how to play with a target on its back. They know how to play when everyone's gunning for them. And right now, it they looked content with a draw. And that, to me, is a bit of a problem. It's not that I don't think any players, like Hart isn't there, like Carly Lloyd was saying. I don't think that's true at all. But I think that right now, because we don't have that cohesive idea behind how to win games, it's not going to feel like we're that best team anymore. And it doesn't right now. And I I wouldn't say that I can point at any team and go down the line and say they should win the World Cup. They should have won the World Cup. The U.S. still are the favorites to win this whole World Cup, even after the way that they've played in these games, because they have that talent, because that 10 out of 10 performance, even if it hasn't shown right now, you feel like it could be right around the corner. So you take a point against one of the best teams in the world, a team that you probably should have been beating and based on the way the second half goes, probably should have won even on the day, but you take the point and it was fair. So for that, I I have a lot that I liked in the, in the, the adjustments in the second half, but I still think there's so much more to give. And I, I don't know if we're going to win the group now. This, this makes the third match day very, very interesting because with the Netherlands style of play against Vietnam, if they can control the ball as well as they did against us in the first half against Vietnam, then I'm very scared for how high they can run up the score and potentially take the top of the group, even if the U.S. beats Portugal. Yeah, there's a lot of what you said that is just so true with Andy Sullivan. Um, 
what you're saying is definitely backed up by the stats. She had the least amount of touches, not just in the U.S. team, but by any outfield player that played the entire game. As the six, that's just not – it's not – It's Will Trapp status. Yeah. Yeah, so she was just, like, not doing anything, not really adding anything. And then, of course, the subs would have helped a lot because Rodman and Smith definitely needed, like – like a relay, someone to like back them up after in those later stages when they're getting tired. Cause when I said Sullivan had the least amount of touches, 47, you know, who's tied with her for the least amount of touches, Alex Morgan, actually. Oh, wow. Which is surprising. And you don't feel it because Alex Morgan's like, when she touches the ball, at least what I saw, they're like meaningful passes. Yeah. And what I really like is her, this role she's using in this world cup as more of like a false nine. She drops back, pulls the defenders with her. And you saw it in the, the goal against Vietnam, I'm pretty sure, where she had that beautiful heel flick pass. And she did it again a couple of times against Netherlands. She fell back and made a beautiful pass to Rodman or Smith, but they just didn't have the legs to capitalize on it. They're set up with a beautiful pass, past the defense, and then they're getting caught or they're not making the shot, right? So they definitely need someone else there to be more clinical, Rodman and Smith need to start performing better as well, but it comes down to rest as well, which is where the subs come in. Like you got to rest your players because it's such high intensity games every time. So there's a lot to be desired more from the coaching and also in the finishing aspect from the team. And I do agree that the USA is probably the most talented team out there, but I don't know if they're, favors just based on the performance the reason why i said spain for me is one of the favorites now and i would put spain above the u.s is this in terms of talent the u.s beat spain but it doesn't matter at all because in such a short tournament it just matters how you're performing in these few amount of games and i see spain performing more as a team they know what they're doing and i feel like other teams might be able to do that too Japan's playing really well as well. So Spain versus Japan is going to be an interesting one to see, see how they stack up against more even competition. So yeah, the talent is definitely there. They just need to perform. And like they haven't been doing that already. So we really need to see that in the last game. It'll be crucial last game because they need to, it'll define if they get first place or not, which defines the look of the draw for the knockout stages. It all is so important. Every moment matters. And there was just a lot to be, desired about from this team and i hope we see it in the next one if if i can jump in real quick nick especially it's especially important that we finish top of the group because if we finish second sweden could be waiting in the round of 16 and that is a very very difficult opponent that you do not want to be playing this early in the tournament and you know finishing first is going into match day three not a given whatsoever it's right now if you take a look at the Group E standings, both the U.S. and Netherlands on four points. The U.S. are currently holding that first spot thanks to a, a better goal difference. They have a three-goal differential compared to the Netherlands with just one. Portugal right behind them on three points. So a draw for the U.S. in this final game will get them through. But they need a win, and they need to make sure that their goal difference, you know, considering the Netherlands are playing Vietnam, that's that's a game that, you know, we've been impressed with Vietnam, their performance against the U.S. They didn't get blown out by too much. But it's the kind of you know, matchup where if the Netherlands are really flowing and in the mood to score a lot of goals, they could pour it on against Vietnam. So the U.S. need to be really at their the tip top of their form against Portugal. And you think about 
the changes that Vladko could possibly make heading into that final game. I think, I think Rose Lavelle has to start over DeMello. I think that that's a given. And I think, I think you you guys are right about Andy Sullivan having to, you know, moving Julie Ertz to midfield and taking out Andy Sullivan. But I don't know if Vladko sees it that way necessarily. And I, I would not be stunned going to that Portugal game if it's still Ertz and Gurma as that center back duo and Andy Sullivan as the six, which I think is probably detrimental to this team. But I wouldn't be shocked if that's that's the the way that Vladko decides to set it up. But this is not a third and final game where you can uh, necessarily mess around tactically because you need a performance against Portugal, who are also fighting for their lives to get through in this in this into this knockout stage, and so are the U.S. at this point. So it's really all to play for heading into match day three with, you know, the, the U S with the slight edge right now over the Netherlands, just on the, with that better goal differential of two, but the game against Portugal is Tuesday, August 1st at 3 AM. So it'll be a, a late night for us, but James heading into that Portugal game in order to secure first place in the group, in order to avoid Sweden in the knockout stage, what has to change from that performance against the Netherlands? Well, quite simply, it's the same thing we've been asking for since the start of the tournament. Can they be more effective and clinical in the attacking third when transitioning towards goal? And can they score? And while I said there were a lot of good things in that second half, and I think we can all agree with that, it still didn't look like that they were creating those types of chances that they would have been creating four years ago and eight years ago. And I'm thinking about the players that, maybe save their their chances in the Olympics in 2021 and then who carried them through the some of the hardships in 2022. And the number one name on that list for me is Lynn Williams. And while it part of that is my New York NYMJ Gotham FC agenda, it's very true in the sense that she is a game changer and should be playing. I'm not saying that she has to start. I'm not saying that Trinity Rodman needs to come out, but a substitution needs to be made for one of the wingers before the 60th minute, should things not be working out. And I agree that the midfield is something that needs to be shaken up. And I also agree that it's not something we're going to see. And to make it another, a third agreement here, I also agree that it doesn't have to be the personnel. That's the problem. The 11 players on the field, it's the United States should still be good enough to get a convincing win over this Portugal team who are not a bad side by any stretch, but are very much inferior to the U S and if you're nursing two goals of a goal differential lead on a team like the Netherlands who were playing Vietnam. Yeah. They could run up the score five nil against Vietnam. That wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility and they could steal the top spot in this group from us just like that. But you can only control your own destiny. So what they need to do is they need to come out and need to correct the mistakes that have been happening up into the start and now continuing through this world cup. And do I think they're going to figure it out? No, but do I think they're going to look a lot better and they're going to get closer? Yeah. Because their backs are against the wall. Now they know that they know that if a disaster happens and they, they, they could be out of this world cup some one way or the other, should Portugal really give them a scare, then who knows what could happen. And I don't know about you, but that, that's kind of scary that, the U S were even in this position. I didn't think they were going to be in this position. Uh, I knew that a draw was imminent, but Portugal are on three points and a win and a Netherlands win and it's over. So that's crazy to think about, but I I'm confident that they'll get it done. Even if it is the exact same 11 that we saw. Uh, and look, while I liked a lot, 
this is, I'm not trying to bully anybody here, but while I liked a lot of what Trinity Rodman brought in that first half of that first game against Vietnam, um, I would be willing to see Lynn Williams start over her or be willing to see Sophia Smith start down the middle where she's better and, and more used to playing than outside on the wing. And maybe that means Alex Morgan starts on the bench. I don't know. But these are changes that I'd be willing to look at. Alana Cook at center back and Julia Ertz in the middle is one that I'd like to make. And that's not me saying that Alex Morgan is not good enough to be the starting striker. I just think not that it's an experiment, but there's should be different looks at how this team attacks. And we haven't seen that yet. No, I think we do need to experiment. <laughs> like, it's exactly what we need. Because if you just throw the same players out there, expect a different result, like, it's not going to happen. And you don't have time to just like, oh, they'll figure it out in like five games. We don't have five games, okay? They need to do it now. And so if that's not working, I need to see some changes. I don't know if I would take Alex Morgan out. And I know a lot of people would say she's been underwhelming, but her role is just different. And I think she's excelling at the role. And mm-hmm. I think she just needs the teammates to actually finish the passes she's given to them. But, uh, but yeah, we need to see some experimentation and I'm going to mention Spain again, as you can tell, I, I, I really like the way they're playing, but uh, they experimented even after they have a solid win against Costa Rica, their biggest win in the world cup at the time was that three, against Costa Rica. Yeah. Until they beat their own record, but uh, they had a good striker there with Estead, and then she didn't play the second game and it still worked out. Like, they're just trying things out. They're figuring out, like, who's playing, who's going to start well, who's going to perform. And USA just sending the same players out, it's not going to work, okay? We've been talking about it for so long. We're not seeing any changes, so you need to change. At least mix it up with some of the substitutions. Give the other players a chance. And if, if they're showing up and if they're on fire for the next four games, like, over the next couple of weeks, then give them a chance, you know? It could work out. You never know, but you got to try it at least. I agree, definitely agree that experimentation is needed. I just think in the head of Vladko right now, he's got his his starting 11, and that's and they need a result. So he's going to stick to that starting 11, even if that hasn't necessarily been any sort of recipe for success at all. So I think I'd expect a similar starting 11. Maybe Rose Lavelle comes in. Hopefully Rose Lavelle comes in. But I wouldn't get my hopes up on Andy Sullivan coming out. If she does, I think that'd be beneficial for the team, but it's going to be a, a, I didn't necessarily think it was going to be a sweat against Portugal, but I think it might end up being that way. Tuesday, August 1st at 3 a.m. is when the U.S. will conclude their group stage. We talked about the Women's World Cup for a long time, which is a wonderful thing, a lot of content to get to. I think something we have to mention in the other world of soccer is, is the the insane um offer that Kylian Mbappe received from Al Halal this week. It seems like he's not going to take it. Um but it was essentially a 300 million dollar bid from Al Halal to PSG and then a 700 million dollar plus contract offer to Kylian Mbappe which would be by far the for, this is for one year of his services. One single year for 700 million dollars. What what has happened to this sport? What has happened to the world? What is going on that it, it, it doesn't seem like he's going to take it. Um, it, it seemed like the, the predominant message that I got on social media among people who maybe don't necessarily watch soccer, know a lot about soccer was take the bag, take the money and run, which I think a lot of people would do. People talking about generational wealth. Does Kylian Mbappe not already have generational wealth? Like how much money does he make at PSG? It's absurd. Yes. He did $700 million. He could do whatever he wanted to, but he can do whatever he wants to now. 
So I just want to get your guys' take quickly on the fact that Al-Halal has enough money to do that, what that means for the, the, the scope of global soccer, and sort of Mbappe's decision that, that it seems like he's not necessarily going to take the money. Well, I think they have enough money because they're owned by the public investment fund oil, of, baby, oil. The, of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So they're, they're playing with public money. They got all the money, all the oil money in the world to pay for Mbappe. And it, I don't even know what to make of that. Like at what, at I, what, point, know what th- I don't know what to think either. Like what, at what point, at it's what absurd. point is this like even realistic? Like that's, they're going to pay Mbappe more money than the, the GDP of some countries to play soccer for a year. That's ridiculous. And some of the, some of the stipulations on that contract, because it's not like guaranteed 700 million. It was like a promise of he would own his entire rights to his image, which is like, that means like he could put his name on his own Jersey if he wanted to or not. Like it it gives him the rights to pursue his own deals, everything like that. And he could make even more than $700 million should he exceed the expectations. And look, a while I'm very much of the opinion that it's your career and it, this would put it on a very strange path, especially at his young age where he's about to embark on becoming the greatest player in the world. Like he's already probably the best player in the world, but he's about to cement it for good now that Ronaldo and Messi are out of Europe. This would be a very big derailment from that, but I wouldn't blame him for taking this. This is like... They would basically just guarantee, like, yo, yeah, you're going to be a billionaire, by the way. And you get to play here for a year, then go to your dream club. Because Real Madrid are waiting on the other end of this. He's going to go to Real Madrid eventually. Everybody knows that. It's just about a matter of can they can PSG help delay it for a year? And that's been happening now for, I think, the, we're in the third year of that. And now this has just made it different. If I'm looking at it from Mbappe's perspective, I feel like, you know, the prettiest girl at the dance, everyone's trying to trying to get you know what it is what it is but one of one of these suitors is now paying me north of half a billion dollars nowhere near as good looking but for one dance it's not even for the whole prom for one dance but everyone's gonna judge you (laughs) everyone's gonna judge you but you don't care if, if you got 700 million and look i'm not saying he should take the money i'm saying i would understand if he did because Obviously, I would understand if he did. And did you, did you hear what Odi Onigallo said the other day? He goes, we're not playing f- football for passion. We're playing for money. So let's let's stop that narrative. And I'm like, well, at least you're being honest about it. Yeah. And then another part of me is like, oh, that's so sad. And like, yeah, good. Go go make your money. Get that bread. We're all watching you. You deserve the money. You're the players. You deserve it. We're the ones who are here to watch you. We're the ones who pay subscription money. We pay cable bills. You should get that money. But how how did we get here, man? Game's gone. It like yeah. it is, but also how 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 in in what world would like? And I know he's the best player in the world. In what world is that going to be profitable for Saudi Arabia if he's only there for a year? Like I understand Ronaldo. They've already they've already been milking so much profit out of Ronaldo, like. They've already played two do- tours in two different countries against a bunch of uh, very big European teams. They just played uh, against PSG last week or earlier this week. But if you only get a year of Mbappe, they're going to have to work the crap out of him just to make enough money. They're going to be like, guarantee you have to play in 25 league games at least. 
plus we're going to do these tours, but they only get a year. So I don't know what, like, they're going to work the hell out of that guy if he takes this deal, which I'm glad it looks like they're not. That's yeah. all I'll say. Yeah, Fabrizio Romano said, Mbappe doesn't want to negotiate. I trust the man. I don't trust anything <laughs> until I hear, here we go. So, but yeah, it's a tough spot. As a Madrid fan, I was like, you know, I wouldn't even be that mad if you took it because I'd completely understand, which is what you were saying as well. And because it's an interesting perspective if you look at it like it was a win, win, win. Like everyone won. And I'll expand on that. So PSG doesn't want to let him go for free. So they get the money. Boom. Done deal for them. They get a win. Madrid, they don't want to pay for him right now. They want to wait one year until he's free. In one year, he'd be free. Win for them. Mbappe gets to go to Madrid after a year. Win for him. And he gets the bag. Win. But what James said, like, how does this benefit Saudi Arabia at all? Where is the win for them? And that's like the fishy part to me. Because they would probably pull another PSG where they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll keep it for a year. Then you go to Madrid. And then when that year it comes, they're like, they're not okay, gonna well, let him leave. Yeah, now we offer you more, so you stay, and it becomes like another hostage situation. Yeah. So uh, the fact that they didn't have like a clear win there, and it made no sense from them, like it made sense for everyone else, but for them, no sense. That was the fishy part for me, and I'm glad it, he's probably gonna say no, and I hope I hear the here we go soon. Saudis just have more money than they know what to do with, and you know, there's a lot of problems in this world, and I think. 40-minute Zoom meetings are at near the top of that list just to transition because we have a minute and 15 seconds left. Uh, I'm just seriously going to start looking into Zoom Premium because we didn't even touch on Messi's uh, oh Messi's Nations League uh, or not Nation uh, League's Cup. He's taken over the world. He's taken over North America. He scored two against Atlanta United, or Atlanta United. He's making Miami a relevant team again. Everybody came out to watch you. He scored the free kick against Cruz Azul. Messi's How about off. Robert Taylor? Robert Robert Taylor was just some dude like last week and yeah. now he's getting assisted by Messi. It's really a wonderful thing, but that'll do it for this week's edition of FUVFC. Maybe potentially a longer episode coming next week. We'll see. Do I want to pay for it? Probably not. So it'll be 40 minutes again, but at least the thought was there. Uh, the U S play finished their world cup group against Portugal on Tuesday. And for Nick Guzman, James Burley, Andy Rodriguez, the trio that has been here this entire summer and we'll continue to be here for this entire summer because we are loyal to this podcast and this podcast only, right, James? Not five on three. Or all in, which I'm hosting, a hosting <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> See you guys next time. <laughs>